0: Father, we come before you and we ask for your wisdom, your discernment, your insight, your Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and teach us into your word and into our culture that we wouldn't be so easily taken advantage of and believe things that aren't true. Help us to discover these things in your word as well as in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul, if you remember, he went back to Jerusalem. It was prophesied he would be bound. He went to the temple courts. He was going to offer sacrifices for him, pay for them for himself and for four others. And they were going to um, give these sacrifices as a result of taking vows, probably the vow of a Nazarite. And then he was recognized in the Temple Mount area, and he was seized by the people. They started beating on him, and then what happened was the centurions came down, and they got Paul, and they pulled him out. They dragged him out, and then Paul had an opportunity to speak to the the Jews who were there in the temple courts, all the men, and there were probably thousands of them there, And then he had to appear before the Sanhedrin. So the next day he was supposed to go to the Sanhedrin. And he did appear before the Sanhedrin. And he looked around confidently. And he proclaimed his innocence. And he said, I am innocent because I believe in the resurrection of Christ. And he pitted the Pharisees against the Sadducees. The Pharisees who believed in the resurrection and in angels. Life after death. And the Sadducees who did not. And so a big commotion, a big argument broke out between them. Paul was again yanked out out of there and then he was sent over with the praetorian guard and he languished there a little bit i don't know if he was pretty excited about what he did or you know he was just waiting he knew he was supposed to be testifying to jesus christ but then a plot emerged and in verse 12 let's go back just a little bit from where we were last time it says the next morning the jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath to eat and drink until they had killed paul This is in chapter 23 of the book of Acts, verse 13. More than 40 men were involved in this plot and they went to the chief priests, the elders, and said, we have taken solemn oaths not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about the case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now. They are ready now waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Verse 23. Then he called two of the centurions and ordered them get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. To go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows, and this is the name of the centurion it's Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him. For I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I want to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to the Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while they were returning to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. So he was whisked out of there because of this plot that was taking place, the son of Paul's sister. And you look at this section of scripture and you ask yourself, well, what, what would God have me focus on? Now, as you do Bible study, and hopefully you guys are doing Bible study, you read a section like this, and there's several things you can focus on. You could be in this section alone for years. For instance, you could talk about Paul's insight and what to do and exercising wisdom and going to the centurions and to the commander and giving this information out. And you could do a whole message on that. Or you could talk about the wisdom of the commander and how the commander acted and what he was very sagacious, very wise and this is what he did to get Paul out of there to keep him safe. You could talk about the obedience of the centurions. You could talk about conspiracies. You could go through the whole Bible and look at the conspiracies through the Bible. You could talk about faithful family members, the son of Paul's sister, what he did and how blood runs thicker than water and you know, you could go down that path. You could look at people in authority and their proper roles like Governor Felix and his wife Drusilla. Incidentally about Drusilla, That's not the same as the Cinderella stepsister, that's Drizella, but it's close, it's Drusilla. She was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa. She was born in 36 AD. She was a beautiful Jewess. She had sisters Miriam and Bernice. Bernice was very jealous of her beauty. She was married at age 14 to the king of Amazah, Azizus who was said to be cruel. A short time later, she was induced to desert her husband by Governor Felix, who employed a Cyprian sorcerer named Simon. Simon the sorcerer. Now, not probably the same sorcerer that was in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Probably a different one because Acts 8, verse 9 deals with Simon the sorcerer in Samaria. This guy could be different Maybe the same. We don't know. She gave birth to one son, and she named that son Agrippa. We're not sure, but it is believed, according to Josephus, that she perished with her son in the volcano that erupted Mount Vesuvius. And it's funny. That's been in the news lately. They've been showing how they get the body cast of the people who died in that eruption, and they find the cavity, and they pour plaster Paris in there, and they actually get the outline of the person who died there, and it it could have been her that died, or it could have been her son's Agrippa's wife that died, they're really not sure, but you just do a study on the people that are in this section of scripture, and you just learn things, you go, wow, well, that's that's just kind of interesting, now, as you get in from this chapter to the next chapter, chapter 24, we could be talking about Offering bribes because we'll find out that Felix was interested in getting a bribe from Paul in order that Paul could preserve his life. He just wanted some money with his wife Drusilla. And Drusilla, again, she was a Jewish, a Jewess, and they were married and they would listen to Paul. They would call in Paul and they would want to listen to him. And then Felix got kind of afraid. He was afraid of what Paul was saying about the judgment to come, the things that are ahead. And he goes, okay, that's enough. I don't want to listen anymore. And we could talk about that when you go out witnessing, that people don't want to hear about what's in the future, that there's a judgment. There's heaven and hell. There's no way station, no place in between. We choose which one we want to go to. When you start talking like that, people go, well, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, you can choose to believe it, but it doesn't change if it's true or not. That's a that's a description of somebody who's deceived. They choose to believe something and they don't think they're deceived. They're taking what they believe is the truth route. The only thing that we can be sure of is the scripture because God has deemed it to be so. The prophecies that are there, he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. That's how we understand what truth is. In the world, the world is full of deception. Or I could talk about Porcius Festus. He's the guy that takes over. After Felix and his wife are in charge, he comes in later and he's the one that ends up talking with Paul. And by the way, by the time he gets up to talk to Felix, Paul, he gets up there, that's 12 days. But then by the time we get to Festus, that's two years. Talk about a trial taking a long time. He was in Herod's palace or the jail there for two years. And and then when the people show up to talk to Felix and DeFesta, they use nothing but flattery. I'm definitely going to get into flattery. Oh, you look so good today. You know that. But when people use flattery, they do it in order to get something from you. And again, I've talked about this before. It doesn't mean you can't give a compliment. Oh, you look good today. See ya. And you walk away. Or it could be, you look good today. How are you? And you grab them by the shoulder and you have a nice long conversation and you just pump them up a little bit and you want something, don't you? I would be suspicious of anybody who does that and be aware of what flattery is. And we're going to get into that. But as we look at this particular passage, there's only two things I'm going to focus on today. First, the taking of vows. And then second, the deception. Now, Why did Paul end up with Felix and Drusilla asking a bunch of questions and and listening to Paul? God wanted them to have the message of the gospel. That's plain and simple what was taking place. He had to endure all this so he could get to the right place and talk to the people that God wanted him to talk to. Remember in the book of Acts, we are all born for a particular time, a particular place, a particular city. We meet particular people so that we can get the gospel that we can confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and we will be saved if we do that. If we say, no, I don't want Jesus as Lord and Savior, okay, you've made your choice. And that choice means you'll be separated from God forever. And it's just a simple choice. We just say, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Now, the problem comes in when you explain that to people, well, what does that mean exactly? What's the requirements of following Christ? You have to die. Well, I don't want to die. You have to die to the things of this world and maybe even ultimately die for your faith in Jesus Christ like Paul was martyred. I don't think that's going to happen to most of us. But it's this idea of learning how to die and doing what is right. And some people just say, I, I don't want to do that. So God wanted to talk to Felix and Drusilla, gave them the message. He also wanted the message to go to Festus, and we can see how that's taking place. But these guys, these 40 guys... That took this vow. This vow was a stupid vow. Can I be any more clear? It was dumb, it was ignorant, it was self motivated. Taking vows is not supposed to be like that. Now, we do take vows. If you are oaths, you can use that as a concomitant word. A vow is the same as taking an oath, you go to court. I do solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but truth, so help me God, right? And you put your hand on the Bible. Of course, they did that in Congress, and now they switched it to the Koran, which is meaningless. But then we take vows when we marry, right? Uh, what do you say? Uh, I will have you, for better or worse, richer or poor, in sickness and health, till death do us part, and love, honor, and the woman says obey, right? Oh, no, wait. Love, honor, and, and cherish. She see this? Cherish, it's not obey. Just thought I'd throw that in there for a little bit of humor. <clears throat> now, we can also take time to make a personal vow to God ourselves. You can promise to do something for God. Like in the Old Testament, it was the vow of a Nazarite. You can do that where you say, God, I'm going to give you so much money. And you don't have to expect anything in return. That's bargaining. But you just sacrifice, you give God something, or you help somebody. Or you can say that you know, you're know you're going to vow to read through the Bible in a year. You can take that kind of vow. Now, a vow is simply a declarative statement to others or to God that you or I will conduct ourselves in a particular manner or fulfill a particular task. That's all a vow is. Now, if we say a vow to one another, in this life, there's plenty of vow-breaking. Just look at the divorce rate that is out there. It really didn't mean the vow. And there's plenty of vow-breaking to God as well. Does that mean that somebody isn't saved if they take a vow and they decide not to take a vow, they lose their salvation? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means they're a sinner, just like everybody else, and are in need of a Savior. But there are consequences... In Scripture, it tells us that if you take a vow, you better be sure to repay it if you're giving a vow to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth." So in the text that we have in Acts, 40 men take a vow. And again, it's a stupid and foolish vow. But did they really vow to God that they would murder somebody? That's what's taking place. They're going, God, we will kill this man. You think, whoa, how far away from Scripture are they? they're pretty far away now doesn't that violate a commandment thou shalt not and by the way it's not kill it's murder thou shalt not murder it's the sixth commandment now i was thinking about having you guys do a little exercise i was going to have you stand up in groups of four i was going to have you open up to deuteronomy chapter five and exodus chapter 20 and i was going to have you read the ten commandments and somebody in your group wanted to say the ten commandments in order that would be great we should all be able to say the Ten Commandments in order. Now, this is the sixth commandment. The first commandment is you're not to have any other gods before God who we know from the scriptures. You're not to make any graven image. You're not to take his name in vain. You're to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And for us in the new Testament that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, he is our Sabbath days rest. It's the only commandment that is not repeated to be kept in the new Testament. Then you're to honor your mother and father. You're not to murder. You're not to commit adultery. You're not to steal. You're not to lie. You're not to covet. Now you can make a vow and say, God, I'm going to learn the 10 commandments. Now, if you said that, you're bound to learn the Ten Commandments, but if you say, "But I'm so old, I can't remember anything at all. What was your name again? You know, so, something like that. See, I I can't retain any information whatsoever. And there's arguments against that. God God knows if you're just using that as an excuse. You think you're going to deceive God? Well. Yeah, I'd like to really get the Ten Commandments, but in my heart I really don't want to do it, so I'm not going to make that vow. God knows if that's your heart. But if you endeavor to do it, I promise you, if you said it a thousand times, you would remember it. That's just rote learning. I would not command you. I might make a suggestion. Maybe try making a vow to memorize the Ten Commandments. not word for word, just what they are, just like I gave it to you. If you do that, do you think you will benefit from that? Like not taking a vow to kill or murder somebody? Yeah, it's probably a good idea. They're not ten suggestions. They're ten commandments. And it helps us to live our lives without having trouble. Now, this broke the Sixth Commandment and we see what these individuals end up doing. They they took this vow they vowed not to eat or drink. Stupid. In three days if you don't drink, you're gonna die. And and so these guys were destined to die. Now how do you think it turned out? Do you think they actually didn't drink or eat after that? I think they said, Whoa, I made a mistake and I'm gonna give an offering at the temple and, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and eat. Well, after all my family, you know, I have to take care of my family and I'm sure excuses just abounded uh, with these particular men, as well as the sanhedrin and the elders and uh, the um, the people, the rulers of the people, how they colluded in this, this was just something it was terrible that was that was taking place. But how did these guys get to the point where they thought they were doing god 's bidding by killing Paul? They were deceived. Now, remember, the person who is deceived doesn't know it. They think what they are doing is good, is just, it's okay. Now, I have given you the straightforward story about Paul and his imprisonment and how he appeared before the rulers and how these men had taken a vow and were completely deceived into believing that what they were doing was the will of God in murdering Paul How insane was this? This is to the nth degree. You you could hardly go any farther than this. So how is it possible that these 40 men could be so deceived that they would want to sin in such a fashion and believe that it was the will of God? Now deceivers, they devise a plot. It would have come from the leaders, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the elders, giving their approval to these 40 men. Now, sometimes when we are deceived, we do it only because the people in authority over us, we want to show them that we believe in them. We want to garner their favor. We want to show them respect so we buy into what they're saying. We don't check it out for ourselves. Now, just keep in mind as a side note, Acts seventeen eleven, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians or of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. Paul was the authority on earth in the church writing at least 13 of the letters in the New Testament. They were to check Paul and his authority, were to check the word, were to check each other, Examine the truthfulness of any claim that is made. So opportunities, as I previously said, to deceive and to deceive others will abound. And we will often witness deception that takes place. Now, two other personal examples of how people tried to deceive me. One was, remember when the Internet was just getting going and you guys had a Yahoo mail account? yahoo and yahoo was being hacked all the time it seemed like that's when i made a switch over to gmail and daryl told me about the secondary sign in and how you can keep people from getting your uh, information in your email well i got contacted by somebody on my email list it was pastor drew from calvary chapel alpine he wrote me a somewhat lengthy email and the email said Brother Bill, I am stuck here in Uganda. I was robbed. I don't have my wallet anymore. I don't even have my phone. I was able to get to a computer, and I need some money for a flight home. And I'm going, oh, I gotta help this guy, you know? So I'm going, okay, what can I do? And I wrote him back, no problem. You just let me know what you need and where to send it. And so I went to the bank, I got some money, and I went down to Western Union, and I said, you know, I'd like to send this money. And I'm filling out the form and everything and the guy looks at me and he goes, hey, Amen. Call him first. Just try to call him. I said, Well he doesn't have a phone. He goes, Just just call him. So I called him. He answers. I said, Drew, where are you? He goes, I'm in Alpine. Why? And I go, Oh, this guy was gonna take. It was twenty five hundred dollars that he wanted. I, oh man! Thank you, Lord. The Lord was watching out for me. You know, it's like oh, I could have been so easily. And that was the beginning of the internet before everybody knew the the viruses and the you know, the hacking. It's like oh, anything I get now in my email. You are you a scammer? Who are you? And and so we're prepared for that, right? And and just recently, a couple of weeks ago. I, I got on, I was looking for a piece of equipment. And so I typed it in the internet and I went, okay, I, oh, here it is, at Home Depot. And it's half price. And I go, that's it, I'm getting two. I'm going to, I'm getting two of those things and it, it gives you the open, option, pick it up at the store or have it delivered to you. And I put in all my information, my credit card and all that stuff. And I go, great. And it, you know, I go down to the store where it's supposed to be, and they're going, what, what is this? And I said, right here, here's the website, HomeDepoDeals.com." and it's right there. The pictures are there, it looks like Home Depot. Where is it? And they said, I think that's a scam. We don't even carry that. And I'm going, oh no. You know, so went, fortunately, it did not receive my credit card information. And I had to go down there to find that out, that there's probably a scam. So there are people everywhere trying to scam us, right? And you just have to be constantly vigilant to make sure nobody scams you. Now, when it comes to these protesters that are out there, one of the things that they'll say is, look at all the people that are for Hamas. They must be right. This is what's known as a bandwagon fallacy. There's so many people that are for it. It must be the right way. How many people are are going to destruction as opposed to going to heaven? Most are going to destruction. They have been deceived. Either willingly deceived or unwillingly. But God is going to hold them accountable either way. Have you guys seen this? This is just... I, I watched it. It's just awesome. Do you know who... Greta Thunberg is? You understand who she is? You know what a deep fake is? A deep fake is a video they are able to take any image, any voice of anybody, superimpose it on somebody else, and make a video where you cannot tell the difference between the person who's doing the acting and the person they want you to believe they are. And this is a an interview that's taking place with Greta. She's sitting down and she starts talking about using vegan grenades. And she's yeah. And she starts talking about biodegradable missiles in her new book, The Vegan Wars, and it's her. She's sitting down there. She goes, why do why do needless animals need to die because of the wars that are going on? You need to use the vegan grenades and get them at the at the hand grenade store, or wherever you go. And I'm watching this and I'm going, no way. And I, and I bought into it and then somebody comes along later and says, that's a deep fake. And I go, no way. I could not tell the difference. I thought it was her. And even Trump got deceived by that. Yeah, have you heard lately what they're talking? These battery-operated jets—and yeah, that's what she was talking about. It's like a total deepfake. This deception, which is out there, it was kind of funny, you know, when she's explaining about it how she was taken advantage of and everything that she believes. But but then also you go in our government. Who did we elect this? Um, or who did the government elect as Speaker of the House? You guys know his name, Mike Johnson, right? To give you a little insight on this deception thing, I'm running out of time, but this deception thing that's going on in Congress. Who was the previous speaker? Yes, McCarthy, Kevin. Remember who was coming up first? Steve Scalise? They voted on him, he didn't make it. Who came up next? Jim Jordan? He came up, didn't make it. Then it came to Mike Johnson, and he was voted unanimously. What happened there? Well, come to find out, according to you, have Matt Getz, he's the one that got Kevin kicked out. Matt Getz said, Kevin McCarthy was going behind the scenes promising bunches of things to individuals if they would vote against Steve Scalise and if they would vote against Jim Jordan and make the case that Kevin is the only one worthy of the position. And he was doing this in a surreptitious manner behind the scenes. And so what happened when it came to voting for Mike Johnson? They called for a verbal voice vote. There were 43 people that were on a secret ballot that said they would not vote for Mike Johnson, but when they were called out to say it verbally, it was 100% even Kevin McCarthy said I will vote for him. That's how he got elected. He was working in a subversive manner to keep these other people out because he wanted the position and he wanted everybody to think that all these people are against him. And it was him, a deceiver in the Congress that purports to be a conservative working for you. And he's just part of the deep state. I heard that and I thought, You've got... Does anger rise up on the inside when you hear things like that? When people deceive you on the outside? Or games on the internet. You know, there's little... Like Solitaire, things like that. There's a game that's out there. You can win $100 an hour if you just play Solitaire. Uh Uh-huh. You can have $4,000 a month if you just spend your time playing Solitaire. Right. If you just download this app, you can have all kinds of money. And there's a... P.T. Barnum, what did he say? There's a sucker born every minute. You know, there's people that buy into that. So there is deception out there. It's everywhere. Why do we get deceived? It's because we are at times very gullible. Now, going on with this, why do we get deceived? Well, I think we get deceived because we believe we're going to get something good out of what everybody is telling us or what somebody is telling us. And so we go forward on it. We're going to make out in some way, like the solitaire. That If you play solitaire, you're going to get some money, and so they entice you with something that appeals to the flesh. We all also fall for deception by individuals playing on morality. Uh, remember, especially back in the 80s, they would show starving children, and you can help them for just $20 a month. You could feed these children. And they'd play on your feelings that were there. And you'd be moved. Or somebody who's on the street who's a drug addict holds up a sign. May God bless you. I'm homeless. Please help me. They don't say at the bottom. Most people on the street are drug addicts and they don't want to get off the street. And even El Cajon is posting. I've told you. They're posting signs. Do not give money to these guys. But they say that to appeal to your sense of morality, of right and wrong. It's the moral thing to do. Why would you be so unloving as to not accept somebody's lifestyle or their gender affirmation title, whatever it might be? Why would you be so unloving? And they guilt you into being deceived. Remember, on certain issues like this, if you tolerate, they will dominate. And you have to be careful how much you actually tolerate. Now, with this, these are lies. Who's the father of lies? We know according to John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus told us that Satan is the father of lies. People lie to us to get favor from us to get cash from us, to get whatever it might be. They want something from us. In order to do that, they have to lie. And, and have you heard this quote, a lie will go around the world while the truth still putting its boots on? That's attributed to Charles Spurgeon, but it may be, uh, or excuse me, he's probably the one that said it, but it was attributed to Winston Churchill. We don't know exactly where it started. But a lie can just so easily be believed and we need to be skeptical about that. And again, we can be deceived because we want somebody's approval for that and also they can use flattery to get to us in, in scripture this happened with the gibeonites the gibeonites in Joshua chapter 9 verses 4 through 6 they saw what uh, Joshua and the Israelites had done to Jericho and to Ai and so they said we're going to get killed if we don't do something and so they deceived Joshua and the Israelites they they had their animals these old packs that were broken and repaired and they had wineskins that were broken and repaired they had bread that was moldy they put it in there they put on old clothes and they they went to joshua and said we have come from a very far away place we heard the renown of you and the people that you are ahead of and we just wanted to make a treaty with you and and joshua was deceived and he made an error in making a treaty with them, and they paid for it later and that's the deception that they were under if you look at laban in the old testament he would try to deceive his son-in-law And his son-in-law, remember you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He tried to deceive Jacob and yet God was with him and blessed Jacob. There's all kinds of deception. In the Old Testament, and God warns us about these things. How do we keep from being deceived and falling into error? Number one, inquire of the Lord. If you think that there's a deal that's too good to be true, it probably is. Remember, you've heard that. In Joshua chapter 9, verse 14, it says, The men of Israel sampled their provision, referring to the Gibeonites, but did not inquire of the Lord. That was the mistake they made. If they would have inquired of the Lord, they had the urim and the thummim and the breastplate and the high priest and everything. But he goes, okay, well, we don't have to inquire the Lord about this. Now, if you move or if you're going to make a major purchase or if you're going to change jobs or if you're going to marry, seek after the Lord before making a decision, especially Mary, Patty and I, we know a couple. The guy told the girl that if she didn't marry him, he would commit suicide. So she married him. Talk about deception, I would have told her right away. Don't do. Don't marry a man who says he'll commit suicide if you don't marry. That man is unstable. That man is bent on deception. Some would say, ask God about every decision you made. But I think, I think He would, or He might respond in some cases. Well, what would you like to do? And I'm talking about things like glazed twist or maple bar. <laughs> God, which one should I? Wheat. Or white bread, or beach, or park. Which one? I think God would say, Well, what would you like to do? He gives us the freedom on that. But the big decisions in life, seek after the Lord, see what he wants, and then seek counsel from the word. You know, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 says the proverbs of solomon son of david king of israel for attaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words of insight for acquiring a discipline and prudent life doing what is right just and fair for giving prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the young let the wise listen and add to their learning let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables the sayings and riddles of the wise if you know proverbs oh that's half the battle if you're able to go through that. And then we have this idea, handle the truth, get understanding, dig into it. Don't just memorize it. Don't just read it. But you actually have to dig into it. For elders and leaders, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved workman who does not need to be shamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. And also in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, it talks about the future where no man will teach his neighbor about the Lord. Well, that's in the future. But here, we are to teach each other about the Lord. And in Second Timothy 3.11, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we know that there is an air of deception which is out there. And the final thing, once you've done all that, once you've inquired of the Lord, once you've looked at his word, once you try to get understanding or the counsel you know, of many individuals, there is wisdom. And we can talk to people about it. The final thing, you have to trust God that he's going to direct you. And he will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. And if you're double-minded in this, it, James 1, 5 through 8 says that you're like the waves, a boat on the waves of the sea, tossed back and forth, and you're not going to be sure about anything that you should be doing. You know, So the deception today is rampant. It was a lot of deception back then. These 40 men, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the elders, they were all deceived, and probably because of selfish, prideful motives. May The Lord gives us wisdom when we're focusing on ourselves to be aware of it. If there is deception taking place, whether it's with Israel and Hamas or whoever comes along and makes a case for you to be deceived, may you be able to have the discernment of the Holy Spirit and see right through it and not only recognize it, but stand up against it. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for Paul and his example. We thank you for Luke for writing down these words and showing us how deception works. We would ask, Lord, that we would never fall into the hands of the enemy because of the deception which is out there. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless Israel and that you would fight the battle in the media, that the truth would come out and only a foolish person would deny the heinous crimes that have taken place. And as we do this, Lord, we know that when deception comes, maybe we have deceived others. And we repent of that. We ask for your forgiveness. And we know that your word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is why you came to save us from this life, this life of deception. So Father, we praise you and thank you for your word and the fellowship of the saints. And the church said, please stand as we sing our closing song.